What's up, everybody? Welcome back to the Pre-Professional Podcast. I am your host, Zach Kraft, along with host Colton Watring. Today, we have another very special guest, and his name is Eric Bouguera. Now, Eric is a personal trainer who trains anyone from general population to high-level athletes. Um, he has his master's in kinesiology. He has his CSCS. He's a CPT, um, works for Prescript as an educator. He writes for Barbend. The list goes on and on, and as far as academics are concerned, he checks all the boxes. In this podcast, you hopefully will be like me, just completely overwhelmed at how much knowledge this man has in his head and how confidently and how clearly he delivers it. I always say that if you don't know it, you can't talk about it. And after this podcast, it's very clear that Eric knows exactly what he's talking about. Without further ado, Eric Bouguera. Why not, you know? Yeah, I think something that a lot of us at Prescript have kind of is like a a shared history of either commercial gyms or our own training and just figuring it out along the way and realizing we had like kind of this overlapping knowledge base, but overlapping experiences of things that we saw that were flaws in how everybody was going about either like gathering their experience and trying to pass on to others or just their own training. It was just things became, is something that I've actually been in two labs today and had this sort of in, in top of mind and everybody today fancies themselves educators as like a part of their like multi-pronged approach to getting into the fitness industry now. Like I do maybe in person, I do maybe virtual, maybe I do programming. I also do education. And most of us got here through just experience accumulation of knowledge and just seeing where people were going wrong all around us and wanted to kind of just stick our neck out and just like, Hey, this is what worked for me. And it just slowly parlayed into an actual career. It was never something that for the most part we ever sought out to do. It was just after enough experience and seeing what was working, what wasn't and where people were going wrong and maybe what matters, what doesn't on the grand scheme of things. Now it's just a thing that people do. Everybody reads one book or hangs out online for long enough. And all of a sudden they have a mentorship or an education platform or something. It's, I didn't want to necessarily get here, but here we are, right? Yeah. Yeah, I like how you mentioned that because that's kind of the, the route that I took. I mean, I was exercise science in undergrad, things like that. And then I just reached out to, to my mentor and was like, hey, man, like, or he wasn't my mentor at the time. But I was like, I'd love to start like a mentorship type thing with you and just learn as much as I can. He's like, hey, just start working at my gym. Like, we'll, we'll take care of you, learn, grow, and things like that. That's what I've been doing for the past couple of months, and it's been one of the best decisions of my life. Yeah. It's kind of cool that – like we're all kind of going through the same route of things like that. And it's just something learning through. It's not necessarily taking everything that we learned from school. It's more like taking those processes of what we could learn inside of the gym, using that knowledge of in school, but then being able to apply it and then see evidence-based um, results from it. Well, cause therein lies the flaws of the school system. And it's not a flaw of school itself. It's a flaw of time because like the, the undergrad I went through and then the, the graduate studies I went through, there's only so much time to be able to go hand in hand. And here's the textbook learning. Here's everything we need to cram in your brain of anatomy, physiology, exercise, uh, exercise physiology, more specifically like biomechanics, everything that's really popping off in the industry right now. Here's all the book side of those things that you need to know to then try to just get into the, whatever position you're trying to do. If it's physio, if it's Cairo for you boys, I believe for me, it was always just a personal trainer, but to shove all of those things within like a three to four year degree, then grad school, what have you, but also be doing say a thesis based masters or just even in the undergrad level, how much actual practical application do you have unless you were in a position where there were internships on like say a sports team or in gyms or what have you around you, 
a lot of the times you walk in and you get one side of that equation where you're extremely proficient at, okay, well, the textbook said this many sets and reps and these exercises, and then you get in the gym and they literally may not have the best piece of equipment that you're supposed to be using. And now, now what do you do? Right. So the, the yeah, hand in hand equation is something that I think a lot of people were missing. Yeah, for sure. Especially because at Grace, we were what, eight week cycles. Yeah, we were eight week sessions. So we didn't have semesters. Right. It was like, like we went through advanced A&P in eight weeks. I mean, you can't take any time for A&P in eight weeks. It's just not how it's going to work. So like all of my anatomy knowledge that I've grown grown in over the years has been not only that, but like a lot of like my own continued education and it being in the gym, working the muscles has been like the biggest thing that's helped me because then I'm like cognizant of what I'm doing, how I'm doing it. And then through listening to, I was just listening to the Matt Seaman podcast on RX radio and they were talking about like ribs and like rib cage and pelvis. And I was like, Oh my gosh, because a buddy of mine is doing programming with Killian and a lot of the stuff that Killian is telling him to do like cues are all about like pelvis and rib cage and making sure you're in these stacked positions if based on your structure and it's just changed his whole outlook. So he put me back onto that. And it's just crazy that you guys are doing something completely different than I would have ever learned in school and more than I'm ever going to learn probably in chiropractic school. Well, because the premises all applied to what I learned. It's that I was learning a new language because before I got formally brought onto the team, I did PSL one. I got into PSL two right around the time I got actually on, on staff. And I think a thing that people maybe don't realize about like, like team prescript, uh, we are very decentralized. Like we're all over the place. We've got Aussies, we've got Americans, we've got Canadians. We're all over the place. Shallow is clearly traveling across the world at all times. So the degree of like intimate and one-on-one communication, it's like very far and few between. We just did the uh, seminar in Mavadi we're just posting about uh, in, uh, out in Ottawa and like landed two day whirlwind later. I'm out of here. I'll see you guys later. I got told what the content that we want to cover was 30 seconds before we walked in the door. And it's like expected, not not in a malicious way or a, or a bad way where I'm phrasing this, but it's expected performance because we're all at that level where we don't even necessarily need to pre-plan things because we have such a great degree of overlapping experiences, knowledge, yet still not an echo chamber. So when things like you bring up, like the rib cage, the expansion compression sort of content, if you dive a little bit into the PSL2 content, if you've seen it or at least seen it advertised, those are things that I was not necessarily formally exposed to when I started taking it and it was just keep up because you're expected sort of as a standout, maybe in the community at the time, not even necessarily on staff to be able to help explain these things. And I'm just trying to coordinate, okay, where have I maybe seen something like this before in my education? What is this analogous to in my experience? Oh, it's just X or it's just what? cool. Let me see if I can explain it in a slightly different fashion than is being explained by someone else to help connect the dots to people. And that's really kind of the central role that I've, I've taken is a lot of, the team they have more clinical perspectives either through Cairo uh, Bax is finishing up his physio degree uh, or Killian is very experiential and then I'm like right in the middle where and Stu as well he's like extremely experiential he's one of the strongest humans on, in Canada uh, through powerlifting and I'm like right in the middle where I've got a ton of academic sort of backlogged learning that is now overlapping with a ton of both trainer as well as personal my own training experience and understanding how to translate some of these more advanced concepts based upon where I've seen each of these things pop up 
either in the academic side or in the uh, more like just on the floor. Now, so this podcast is very much geared toward people in academia, right? A lot of undergraduate students, maybe people going into undergrad, and some people graduated like us going into a graduate program or a doctoral program, whatever you're going into. And a lot of it, like we really like to hammer the thought of like thinking independently in order to progress. Like you're not going to progress if you keep thinking cookie cutter concepts that people are telling you. Now, you have had a long journey through academia, right? You master's in kinesiology. So in terms of credibility on paper, letters next to your name, you're very solid. But from what I've heard on the podcast and what I'm hearing now is you've gone beyond that. Now, do you think that your time in school with your master's program, did that set you up better to understand these new concepts? Or do you think that you would have figured those out on your own if you would have tried hard enough? I think for me, and I described it on uh, the RX podcast, like every iteration of me through academics, it was, okay, just exist, stay in high school because it's high school for me, it's just go. Uh, in university the first time, it was like, just don't fail because it was such a huge step up in terms of responsibility and actual challenge for me at the time. The second run through for the secondary undergrad, it was like, okay, I knew the song and dance. I knew exactly how to ace this because I've already experienced it. I've done some work in the field. I kind of know my systems of success. And by the time the masters come around, I think I, the way I phrased, like I learned to suffer. I knew how to suffer both in, in the field, in my career, but also through academics. I knew what it was in terms of workload. I knew it was going to be hard. I didn't know what it was at all in terms of the actual subject matter or how to do a, a research-based masters, but I knew how to suffer at the time. And the biggest takeaway from the master's degree itself when I went all the way through it is honestly, the degree of professionality, the degree of almost like a bullshit detector for everything coming at you, the ability to understand like how to probe someone like with one question, just if, if we're you and I are either one of you, we're all having a conversation and I'm sure this has happened at some point in your career. If, if, if it hasn't yet, it definitely will, especially if you're going to be in more of a clinical setting. So we'll give you that little elbow poke, like, yeah, yeah, that topic, that that word that you know, and I'm going to say it too, because got to show you that I know that, because we got that inside knowledge. I know something clinical too. They don't know anything. You just give them one little yeah. prod of depth into like testing their, their, their actual knowledge in it. And that's very prominent now, especially through the social media scene where there is, everybody is either science is the dumbest waste of time ever in this field or cite all of your sources on literally an Instagram caption, which is also the most absurd thing I've ever heard to which the response is me going that deep in academia, especially doing an actual research project myself. I can understand the flaws in, in study design. I can understand the, the pros, the cons and the choices they make. I can understand the strength of like what the conclusions may be. I also know like, through the interpretation of the discussion sections, how much the, the lab themselves, I can't believe I'm about to say this in a serious context, but do they even lift? Like, in terms of setting up a study to test certain things, and don't get me wrong, academics is about like shoving the goalposts forward just like by a centimeter, like you're adding on knowledge on top of knowledge until we get further and further along. But there's certain things that when decisions are made, like because of that experience doing my own, when someone comes out of the woodwork just flaming like this is the dumbest study ever why didn't they do this and this well probably because funding was a thing have you ever given a muscle biopsy that's not a fun experience hard to recruit for like i can understand certain choices 
But then when it comes to like, say, exercise selection or an actual program that they're administering in either an acute or chronic sort of study, that's where I have a better idea of like, is there value behind this? And then you'll tr transition that all the way back to what I said about comprehension challenging of people in the field that you may run into. You'll find out real fast who the abstract warriors are when you just challenge them with that one degree deeper of like, do you actually understand what you read? Did you read it to be, did you, excuse me, read it to begin with? And things along that line. So it's weaponized my my understanding of this field a little bit deeper, especially as the field tries to evolve, or at least faux tries to evolve. And now I think so. One thing that you kind of talked about is with like research studies, and I know that him and I we graduated from the same program. We did a lot of journal article reviews, and I guarantee that neither one of us ever did a journal article review. We did an abstract review, and I feel like that's too often like what ends up happening with a lot of individuals do you see a huge benefit in actually understanding how to dissect a journal like a, a research article or whatever in order to formulate an opinion it depends, is that something that we miss it, it depends on like what is the context with which someone is trying to use research especially in our field like i'm gonna let's let's for whoever may be listening like i'm a personal trainer by by trade, by craft, that's all my services are always presented as I'm a personal trainer. Gen pop, it doesn't really matter. It could be gen pop, could be a trainer, could be an, I don't care. But like my the presentation of my skill set is I am your personal trainer. I'm trying to help you acquire whatever your goals may be. The degree to which I need to cite science and research is so minimized in that context because there's such a small degree of effort, uh, not effort, sorry, the small degree of like meaningful research out there that will really change best practice on a large scale away from what we have already established in in the current literature and the current certifications like the biggest rocks have already been established so when a singular paper comes out that challenges a paradigm that's great but a lot of people will pounce on that incredibly quickly without the realization that yeah that's awesome it's it's in my it's it's back here somewhere okay um, but what we're currently doing is also making gains and it always has, and it's not detrimental in any respect. So I'm not going to change my practice based upon a singular paper unless it's overwhelmingly obvious because the way this works is it's supposed to be the body of literature informs best practice, not necessarily a singular paper that could be rife with flaws or needs to be replicated or what have you, right? So I kind of talked in a little bit of a circle. If I if I missed the mark on the, the question, like recenter me and I can go at it again, but... No, man, you're good. Yeah, that's something a word too you kind of touched on about like we have had foundational movements for hundreds of years and like it's like now we see these people on Instagram and they're doing like exercises with 12 different names or 12 different descriptors of it and it's like that's not why are, why are we going back from the basics to try to do something that's interesting or cool or things like that and then I wanted to touch something on as well that you said is like just being able to synthesize information is it's one thing to be able to read it understand it but to be able to actually synthesize it and to apply that is you can, so like Zach, the three of us could read a study and all get three different things out of out of synthesizing it and apply that into our training three different ways because we all are able to synthesize it differently. And that's where people kind of get lost in the abstract is like, oh, here's an abstract. Okay, if we all read an abstract, we'd get the same exact results out of it. That's where, like you talked about, being able to dive deep into the study and see, okay, maybe this was some of the funding. Do the people actually lift or exercise? Being able to understand that is super important in our field because, I mean, we can all find a study that says stretching is stupid and I'll find a study that says stretching is the best thing in the world. So it's being able to synthesize. I just think that's one of the most important things. I don't know if you have 
just want to touch on that or kind of yeah, what your idea with um, that is. The abstract con, which is the real root of what the previous question was. And it, it circles back to what I was saying about how, like, even when people do try to use that, and they're going to, a lot of times it will be like a quick, super, either a superficial skim of a paper, uh, or we'll be using an abstract to be like the bullet in the chamber that is somehow going to support. And like I said, if, if it's a compelling, it, it's just, it's, breadcrumbs for how much effort I will now put forth into investigating this. Like if the lead researcher in our field for especially hypertrophy and especially like, which is kind of my thing, but especially given the amount of, again, do you even lift level of research that he's trying to do? If Brad Schoenfeld puts out an infographic that has some paradigm shifting sort of thought processing, I'm going to dig into that real fast. Cause like, okay, this guy is his body of work is in this area specifically. So if he's going to give, sort of this, this perspective on things, I'm going to immediately look at it with a bit more credibility. If some rando is starting to cite research out of nowhere that came out 30 seconds ago, and it's probably an abstract, I'll put a pin in it. I'll be aware of it in case I get questioned on it and I need my, my opinion to be, to be known on it. But it really comes down to like, as you said, how do you synthesize the things that you find when you're told something and it, education now in this field because of COVID, because of how much online is now a thing, like, Education comes from so many wild different vantage points because even when I was a personal trainer just live in, in a gym as my primary gig, it went back and forth. It's like, do certifications matter? Does experience matter? Do your, do your degrees matter? FYI, they super matter to people that have money. Like ha walking into a gym and being like, I'm investing thousands of dollars. That dude has a master's. This is a layup. It definitely helps. But understanding like how do any of these things actually tease themselves out onto my practice on the floor? Uh, the most recent one, cause I'm sure you guys have seen at least the slap fights on the internet about all the things lately. Uh, there's a tricep paper that just came out and like, cool. A tricep push down, like single arm push down versus overhead. Cool. It's uh, yeah, you can interpret it this way. You can interpret it that way. It's either paradigm shifting or not. It's not, um, because at the end of the day, regardless of if your lateral, medial, and long head all get maybe a little bit more bias or less bias or more growth, less growth, doing it this way or that way, the end of day result is do both still. It never changed how your best practice would have teased out because you don't do a single exercise in your program as the only thing you'll ever do. That's not how this works, right? So understanding like even when you're trying to be more evidence-based, evidence-based is the totality of many different prongs. But people have sort of skipped that step as the emergence of online has kind of taken center stage in our field in a lot of ways. And the entry point of their education may also be in an online space where it is very difficult to understand the credibility of the person teach, teaching them, in air quotes. I put my credentials on blast, and I think a lot of academics do because it's hard to get them. Doesn't necessarily mean they know what they're talking about. For sure it doesn't, but it also is a point of pride where like I list my things up there every single time of like my social media, anywhere it's where it's relevant, linked, whatever, right? But now we're in the age of coach someone, I help this demographic achieve this goal in this amount of time, stress-free. And I'm like, that's super. Who are you and what do you actually know? Because again, it's not a one-to-one -one direct ratio. Like just because I have a master's, I could be a schmuck for sure. But at least I'm leaving breadcrumbs for like, I've invested time in this. It's not just, 
Instagram has a drop down that says I can say a coach, right? Like, so the ability to synthesize all the sources, who's giving you the information, is it a credible source? Is there relevance to put this on the floor? Should I be all of a sudden changing everybody's program to reflect what this one abstract said? It's just perspective, I think. Yeah, I feel like that's one of those things that a lot of people don't quite understand. Like, there's a lot of textbook warriors that are like, oh, well, this said this, so I'm no longer going to do this. A lot of people, I know a lot of powerlifters, I know a lot of bodybuilders. The gym that I'm at is really big into that stuff. And now I got a buddy who's having a hard time with bench, and they're like, oh, we'll just bench more. And then Killian comes out here, he's like, you know how I got strong at bench? I didn't bench. He's like, I put myself in a position on a hammer strength machine, and that's how I got strong at benching. He's like, Every, everything, like, there's not always one way. There's a bunch of ways to skin a cat, right? Is that is that the saying? I don't know what it is. Multiple ways to skin a cat, something. something like that. But a lot of people, when a new research study or an old research study gets brought up to the surface, they, for some reason, find any reason to change what they're doing because of this new research. I hate when people say, oh, well, the research says this. And I'm like, well, what does the research actually say? Like, did you see what the research said and are you actually applying it in the context that they said they were, they were doing it in? Yeah. I think a lot of people are just, they're still looking to, and it's an experiential thing. It's an age thing. Like I obviously was not what I am now when I first started, I was also guided heavily by what the book said, what have you. But as you accumulate experience, you should be able to pull the right card, play the right play for the right person at the right time. Probably one of the best, like, pieces of consistent research to come out is in these like acute and even chronic studies, like even though they're only for the most part, like 12, 16 weeks, maybe 24, if you're lucky, Hey man, if you get real close to failure, overall hypertrophy outcomes are pretty much the same for lower load, higher load rep counts. Doesn't really make much of a difference, especially for the average person. Like for the most part, another thing that people will shit on research for is like, you guys are the demo that's getting researched. You are fresh out of college or right in college. You're, you're the dude bros on campus that are readily available for me to research. Come here. I got a study for you. and I'm going to give you like a gift card to like Tim's for your participation, right? Like you're the easy cast the net. I got all the, boy, all the boys that like to work out. Here's your one year of resistance training population at least. Nailed it. Oh, that's not, uh, it's, it's a short study. It's not reflective of well-trained. It's reflective of the masses. That's the thing. It's 100% reflective of the average human that most people will employ a lot of this research for. Like, not calling you guys average, but we're all kind of average. Like, if I'm going to apply research that I did to you guys to some new client on the gym floor, again, for those listening, personal trainer, gen pop, commercial gym, most people on the internet, unless you're a specialized coach, probably your demo too, if not part of it. You, it, the, to shit on that part of research, there are flaws in all of it, obviously. Like you want to be able to get more specific to certain populations. But for the most part, probably a lot of those premises apply across the board to most people most of the time. So when that piece of like the equilibrium of if you hit generally close to failure, most of your outcomes are going to be pretty normalized. Fluidity of programming just became a thing. Because if you've ever trained people on the gym floor at peak hours and your machine is taken from your best written program. Uh, the gym is overcrowded for whatever reason. You can't get space to do your walking lunges across whatever. Cool. Let's find an analogous exercise, at least for that muscle group. Fucking send it, and you'll probably have some decent gains no matter how you cut it. So I think that's something that 
as the research quote unquote has evolved, I think it should be freeing for a lot more people than it is. But again, the less experience you have on the floor tied to really overdoing your adherence to strictly papers, especially individual papers, it seems like it's a prison to more people when it should be freeing. Cause there's, there's times I get in traps when I program cause I do personal training as well. So like I'll get, be like, oh man, like I really want to make this a good program and I get really stressed out cause it's like, oh no, I don't want to do the exercise. We'll do something different. But like at the end of the day, especially like you said, like gin pop, like the average people, they need a push, they need a pull, vertical, horizontal, they need to hinge, they need to squat, things like that. It's like at the end of the day, programming can be one of the most simplistic things because you know what you have to hit. It doesn't have to be, oh, we're going to worry about this specific insertion or origin or things like that. It's just get the major movement patterns down and progressively overload and you're going to see results. Yeah. And that's the thing is that someone can come at you for that statement and you can be like, you're right. You are correct. There are more finely tuned ways of doing this, but the degree to which it makes a difference from their starting point to doing that versus doing that to, I need a protractor to make sure I hit every region of every muscle group. It's a, yep. it's a different thing entirely. It doesn't make as big of a difference. So when you're stressed, like if it causes stress for you, if a client doesn't like it, like there's so many different factors that go into being an effective trainer, the human aspect that people need to really understand is a big swath of how you go about doing things as well. Next, if we're talking about like Olympian athletes or top level, top level, okay, yeah, put a lot more time, effort, and energy. Use that protractor if you have to, because you have to make sure they're the most elite of the elite. But again, we're talking most of the time gym pop, who it doesn't necessarily matter what angle you're at when you're doing a bicep curl or something like that. It, it's all very important knowledge to know, as you said, for when the very specific demographic that needs it, or even some of the content we do with like gait cycle mechanics, breathing mechanics, things of that nature, it is things that sprinkle knowledge on top of you that when it's important, it's important. When it's not, understand that it's not and make sure that you're hitting the big rocks, right? Like the, the difference between like emphasizing the short head of biceps in its fully shortened position, like most people don't have a big enough or a lean enough arm for you to ever track an actual appreciable difference. That's something that to give perspective to people that are sort of in the same position, like struggling with, okay, how do I write the best possible program? It's like, can you go to the gym and point out who did the, the insert whatever most biomechanically or effective style. And again, it's not to detract from the correctness of people that do think that way, but the order of magnitude versus the order of stress that it implies upon either you or a client, is it worth that squeeze? And again, think you can be correct, but also not relevant in a conversation for what's best for that person or in the, what's most efficient in that particular time period. Those are all, again, things that you need to be juggling when you make decisions. Like, What's best right now may not be that. Yeah. Now, I feel like this segues super well into like your philosophy in training individuals, right? Now, you say you do gen pop. I assume you train higher level individuals such as maybe Olympic weightlifting athletes or competitive powerlifters, whatever they categorize themselves into. Now, how do you approach training for those individuals? Like obviously, if it's, a power lifter or a weight lifter, they have to snatch, they have to clean and jerk, they have to squat, they have to deadlift. And if that isn't an opportunity for them at their gym, then you have to improvise, adapt and overcome. How do you do that when you have those higher level individuals that need a certain piece of equipment and can't achieve it? 
Uh, tell them to find it because the, the, the example that you're giving in certain cases, it's like, I don't hire you shouldn't hire me. If you, <laughs> if you're trying to do a Olympic weightlifting and we're like relegated to, uh, at home equipment, I'd be like, save your, save your money at this stage. Cause like there's, that's a very different conversation than like the specifics of the angle of my iliac this versus like you actually need that for your sport like you should probably practice that skill right uh in the in like a powerlifting context in hypertrophy context there's a little bit more wiggle room um also my expertise is more in those so a better answer would come following those but worst case scenario um you can challenge the person to make some form of adaptation either skill wise hypertrophy wise something on the back end that will still feed forward into the ultimate goal once they have a better situation to practice the main skill if we go that route so something like a power lifter that's trying to improve their power lifting but for whatever reason they are shy on plates or don't have an access to a gym with like platforms or what have you we can still do mechanics we can still do things like preserving or improving uh movement quality ranges of motion things of that nature in the interim hypertrophy is the easiest but still like it's a beautiful layup because we just all went through COVID where I launched into online when every gym in the history of gyms in the world was shut down and everybody's like, I want to lose body fat and gain all the muscle and get stronger. I have two TheraBands and some neoprene dumbbells. Sick. Let's make the, to your credit, Colton, trying to do the best part, let's make the worst program that's still a program. We're going to use supersets. We're going to use tempo, high rep. I'm going to make you do all the lunges so you do all the muscly damagey things that still somehow are going to help produce some preservation of your gains until hopefully the situation improves. But that's really it. It's it's understanding the layers of mechanism and the layers of quote-unquote optimality where zero and regression, depending on if it's a new person, it's zero. If it's uh, a more experienced person, regression is the enemy. Doing what you can to manipulate the training environment, the parameters, the exercise selection, what have you, to either keep them there or make those improvements certain things are more possible than others obviously like we're talking about weightlifting like i'm sure you can make the argument for dumbbell variations um if you're an actual olympic lifting coach but for powerlifting for hypertrophy things of that nature you can kind of play with some parameters and think of secondary benefits but at a certain point in time you're going to need to get back to the the actual uh environment at hand so I got a question. Um, so you said your background's in hypertrophy. That's kind of more your expertise. What do you see in, not necessarily research, but what you see today people doing for hypertrophy that is wrong or that you approach differently? Um, the fact that people think that there are things that are wrong. That's my biggest beef is like, again, when we have the information that you can make wild amounts of hypertrophic gains, so long as you approximate failure, if you get close enough to muscle failure, uh, most things come out in the wash. That doesn't mean that you shouldn't still be optimizing, shouldn't still be driving for the best possible exercise selection for the person. But again, like I said in the, one of the previous questions, it should be a very freeing experience. It should open up all these options for the longest runway of progression for adherence to a specific exercise, using tempo, uh, slowly peeling that tempo back till it's just a pause, eventually getting so there's none of the tempo or the pause, and you're slowly building load in, in the back end accumulating volume until you can't anymore pulling it back and doing a reset uh heaven forbid you do reduced rest periods and accumulate me metabolic fatigue because that's apparently illegal now because the only thing that matters is absolute tension through load not really but at the end of the day it should be a very freeing feeling knowing that you have all these different options depending on what the person is equipped with and what their main goals happen to be if it's a stage competitor it gets a little bit more detailed 
if it's a gen pop 50 year old soccer mom life is good everything's on the table but again the way that things get presented there is a definitely a good better best but there's always secondary benefits secondary drawbacks to every decision you make if i want you to make a, a hypertrophic adaptation and i go to a medium or high rep count you definitely can but you have to get close to failure, which could be a pain in the ass because it may challenge you in a more systemic fatigue style to get there. Like you may just get literally durability endurance wise tired before you get there. Okay, well, we're still gonna do that. And then all of a sudden your secondary benefit is your endurance went up, which is not necessarily the best thing for long-term hypertrophy. Pairing absolute strength training as well as hypertrophy is definitely one of the breaking of the glass ceilings, the longest runway for longest of the long-term gains. But at the same time, not everybody has the movement proficiency for every single exercise to just exist in this six to eight rep range. And you can get into the, the optimal rest periods are three plus. Absolutely, they are. That's been pretty like established. But maybe someone doesn't have time for that. And again, training in absence of not training, or rather in when compared to not training, is probably a better thing to get their protein synthesis and their muscles to actually have a reason to grow Get those triggers first rather than being like, oh God, I don't have to, maybe I just don't train today because I don't have time for it because the optimal yeah. thing to do is this only one set. And I, I'm remiss to not bring this up. The way I'm speaking about this, I'm passionate about it because I have a lot of people that I've interacted with online, like trainers, coaches, people I know in real life that again, they hear and see all these things that are true, but they don't know how to synthesize it and it causes a lot of anxiety and hand wringing over what should I be doing. And it's not necessarily the fault of the people that are speaking to it because they're also speaking true things like the rest period thing that I mentioned is definitely better for hypertrophic adaptation to rest longer, probably because when you're fully recovered, you can use more load and have a better approximation to failure. Nailed it. Um, but that doesn't preclude other methods of actually giving you benefits, especially as I said, the enemy is zero. So it all depends on the context of who you're training, the actual environment the constraints of what may be going on around them things of that nature that you make those decisions but a lot of the times when people have their only entry point to education being social media they hear these true things but then think that that's the only way that it should be done mm -hmm. that's not how it was necessarily presented but that's how it's a lot of the times interpreted which is the biggest sort of probably the hardest thing for me to have to unpack for people yeah I'm, i like that answer a lot it's basically you can't you can't mess it up as long as you're doing kind of the basics. Yeah, and it's everything that. is a progression point, right? Like yeah, exactly. the big one I, I touched on there in terms of that is like I've been training since I was 12, like 33 now. I still suck at some exercises. You hand me a new one, I will suck at it. You hand me the most optimal of the most optimal exercises for one of my muscle groups, I guarantee you I'm probably going to suck at it, at least sometimes. Maybe I have accumulated fatigue, maybe I have whatever, right? Now take the average person that might spend three hours in the gym and you're like, you're doing this for six to eight and I'm going to hope there's no body English, you're not going to lose position. Some part of you, even though it might be a machine, a cable or what have you, you still need other parts of your body to keep up and like internally stabilize, even on externally stabilized devices in some capacity. It's, it, it's this knowledge that exists in a vacuum as though other things might not come into effect. When the training parameters are set, everything is optimal. That's the only thing you need to consider. Not necessarily. Like it's a it's a skill set that's grown across an entire lifespan, and that's another thing that people don't realize is, if I put you on something for you know heaven forbid twelve repetitions with like a minute rest, 
maybe we'll slowly build you to six to eight to 10 reps with three minutes rest over the long term. And we're still always going to shoot towards that more optimal thing. But again, depending on who you're training and what their skill level is, these are literally options for you to give them improvements for a much longer period of time. Now, with most trainers, obviously you pre-script all the, the whole group. You guys have a very much a transcendent knowledge over a lot of the general population when it comes to training, when it comes to understanding the body and how it works and how it functions. And you saying that you do gen pop training um, kind of spurs this question on a lot of the individuals that listen to our podcast want to go into personal training or go into personal training and have this knowledge base, but they don't quite understand how to get their knowledge across. Now, I feel like obviously if you program well enough, you'll get results. But when it comes to function of the body, understanding like the rib cage and the pelvis as a function, not just, not just like structure, then how do you get that point across to somebody who might not understand the body in that way? They just know that like a curl looks like this and a squat kind of looks like this. And I know that my knees shouldn't always cave in. So I'm going to try not to, but I don't know why. Like, how do you get that um, thought process to resonate with somebody who doesn't quite understand how it all works? It's a really fun question because you can take it in the context of if I'm live in person with you or if I am online, because that was that you raise an enormous skill set that you have to develop as a trainer. Like, how do you take something that you know is a physical sensation? By the way, sensation is illegal. Never pursue sensation. But something that you know is a physiological correctness. Uh, of an exercise you used a curl cool i know how to do a curl i know how to make it feel like a curl and act like a curl it's a curl how do you take that and like internal knowledge of how to do that relay that into words for someone else to then interpret and get that same feeling right what resonates with me as a word may not resonate with someone else as a same word to get that same sensation or that same approximation of what a curl may be so a lot of that comes down to repetition finding metaphors finding examples in person, it's sweet because you can just manipulate their body in space and help them. Like you use all kinds of physical cueing, all kinds of tactile, verbal, any other assortment of strategies. Like you can get really creative. The bigger one though is when you translate that into an online space where all of those other uh, tools have been taken away because maybe you send a voice note, maybe you send an email, maybe you send a text or whatnot to try to improve their technique. That's where the programming intelligence comes in strong. You have to be able to pair, say, a verbal, like a verbal cue, verbal coaching, anything, like a voice note, what have you, trying to explain it to them. Oftentimes, it's best served con constraining them from being able to physically do it wrong to the greatest degree that you possibly can. So something like approximating a ribcage over pelvis, as an example you've brought up before. If it's a squat pattern, if it's a hinge pattern, often front-loading the person, and often even more than that, using something like a med ball or anything that they can literally like reach around, like hug that position or use a low reach position with something like a landmine or a dumbbell RDL or something to that effect, combining your cues, your tact, uh, sorry, not your tactiles, but your cues, your verbal explanations with these positions that effectively reinforce what you're trying to have them accomplish as say a variation that you'll lead back into the main movement of whatever you're trying to accomplish. That's a very powerful thing to be able to do, to wield that knowledge of what your cues should be doing and pair it with an exercise that makes it nearly impossible for it not to happen because sensation doesn't equal stimulation per se if you have a low enough training age sensation for sure can be stimulation 
but what sensation does is offer directionality of muscle engagement. If I feel my hamstrings, probably something's happening in my hamstrings. You know when you don't really feel your hamstrings? When your hinge is all fucked up. Maybe if I use some cues, some constraints, put you in a better position using some implements, using some loading parameters, and then I tell you, you'll, you know you'll have this right when you feel a stretch here. Neat. I have now successfully approximated that person in an online space to be wildly more proficient at the movement that they may have been butchering, and then you know what you do? You coach. Because sensation is illegal, so you can't use that forever, and you slowly peel back some of these more illegal terms. I'm just trolling the shit out of everything now. I just hate everything. But, but like you, you coach. And that's the thing that, again, the internet leads people down this misinformation mis, uh, path sometimes where it's like all of these things are stupid in the context of maximal hypertrophy or maximal this. Like, listen, bro, I'm not training someone that has any experience whatsoever. So using these things like, like more sensational derived cues are extremely proficient at getting someone to better successfully approximate what will be their long-term position. And then you know what you do, like I said, you coach. You slowly peel back cues, you slowly peel back constraints, but always have them have that reference point of like that physical correctness of me forcing them into that position with those other tools. And then you coach. You reinforce things that they do well. You try to uh, take away options that could go wrong. And then over time, you build towards whatever that optimal mountain-based exercise was in on the Instagrams that everybody's trying to do now. And I feel like that's I feel that's something that not a lot of people understand. Like when you're having an individual come to you, especially a general population client, they want you to make them better. And I feel like, do you ever have a hard time with buy-in in terms of like? okay, so this exercise that we're going to do, we're subconsciously building movement patterns in you, even though I can't spend time with you. So what we're about to do, this, I don't know, we're hugging a med ball because we're trying to get um, better position of the, the pelvis underneath the rib cage. This isn't going to give you what you want right now, but it's going to set you up for a better future. Is that hard to get past with a lot of individuals? So it, or do they do it unknowingly? It goes back to what you said earlier about how do you speak to them? And so it really depends. Like I'll train trainers, I'll train athletes, I'll train gem pop, I'll train like your grandmother on her first day ever, right? So depending on their level of like intelligence and knowledge in the field of like just exercise in general, have they ever worked out? Certain phrases are just out the window immediately. Like, okay, we're gonna do I need you to stack your ribcage over your pelvis, I need you to bear down and brace so we can better blah 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 blah. Nope, I'm gonna put you in this position and we're trying to make sure that you are having a high pot, like a, a stacked posture because that'll give you better ability to actually use your glutes, something like that. Like if like we're using the med ball hugging, like RDL example, we'll give it, or good morning, I guess, would might be a better uh, image. This isn't what I wanted at all. I wanted to do X or Y. I wanted to, well, hell, I wanted to do glute bridging or hip thrust, but I can't keep my rib cage over pelvis, so it's a really super inefficient movement, got it. So what we're going to do, I'm going to hand you this med ball and we're going to spend a little bit of time getting you used to being able to hold this posture that's going to give you a better ability to actually use your glutes. The better you're able to use your glutes, the better they'll grow. There we go. And it's it's a thing too, like it shouldn't take that long. Like when you're, as you gain experience and as you have like these, these uh, like ninja stars you can just throw out as problem solvers as you gain more experience and kind of know what works for most clients but also what works best for how you can explain things. They get it fast and then you can then transfer. You can have dynamic correspondence of some kind back into the thing that they really cared about, even if they brought you an exercise themselves and you have to like 
pull them off of that because they're not doing it well enough or they don't have the capacity to yet. Being able to coach someone into a better position should not take a hell of a lot of time because of what I said. Constraints do a lot of the legwork, making it impossible to do something wrong, something mechanistically like stacking the ribcage over the pelvis that should then translate into many other positions. If you're using the proper constraints and light cueing, they should be able to get that and then reinforce when they have it. Like you feel that, that's what we need in insert whatever other exercise. When you're doing your hip thrust, when you're doing your glute bridge, whatever, I need you to keep that same sensation across your core, that cylindrical sort of brace, that ribcage over pelvis, that whatever they dialed in on when you were coaching them, that's what I need you to replicate now when there's a bar on your hips. Ready, go, and just build off of that. Mm -hmm. I like that. Now, kind of segueing into continuing with the training, I know I told you that we want to do some, like how you continue your education. And obviously, pre-script is huge. You guys have guys that know every, you, you can cover every topic through the pre-script group of guys, right? But outside of pre-script, because I, I get a lot of my information from pre-script, so I'm super biased, and I have a hard time finding people that aren't, that I agree with that aren't in pre-script. From people outside, what would you say is a better, I mean, what what is a good, who gives you good information? Where do you get a lot of your information from, and how do you continue your education when it comes to um, being a better trainer, not for even the highest levels, but pushing gen pop in a further direction than they were before. Yeah. I think there's gotta be a good couple of sources of, again, it's like there's certifications out there. There's research reviews. It all depends on who the audience is. Like if the audience that we're talking about right now is another trainer, that's one thing. If it's just a, a client or someone looking to train, that's another thing entirely because the average person looking to just exercise, like what are their exposure points to information going to be? YouTube, probably, uh, Instagram, hopefully, slash probably, and then lo and behold, TikTok. So that's a cesspool that I've not dove into, aside from one time when I read the prescript TikTok comments, and it's the best. Go anywhere, mm -hmm. even the good spots that you know of, the comment section is just the abyss. It's, there's, oh, everybody's just mad all the time. But it comes down to who your audience is and what, like, what's the best way of reaching them? Where are they going to be consuming the most amount of stuff, right? So a trainer reading straight research for most just trainers, you probably are going to miss most of the useful bits. And believe me, they're tiny little bits for most, for the most part. So something like uh, mass, like research reviews like that. Um, who else has, I think Lane Norton just brought one out. I haven't seen it. I don't know how high quality it is, but these, these firmly established with longevity sources of credible information, pick your flavor. There's going to be a lot of people that are going to be doing good work, but a good research review from people that are trying to hand you knowledge that's, again, practically applicable. Um, a lot of them will do overlap between like strength, hypertrophy, usually supplements of some kind, but stuff like that. But when it comes down to an actual person just trying to work out for that part of the audience, you hit it immediately at the beginning of this podcast. You're like, I learned about anatomy and then I went to the gym and I worked out thinking about the anatomy I just learned about. Like that's probably one of the most powerful tools you have. It's like, all right, cool. Um, I'm going to look a little bit at this man's that is like just muscle and I'm going to go train my arms. Well, that goes here. That goes here. 
sick. I know how biceps work a little bit more. Let's go just train that and really squeeze on it. Let's try some different angles. Let's feel what feels good. What feels like I don't feel anything. Does that matter? Let's go high load, low load. Let's do the whole gamut and just experience things. And it really comes full circle in the conversation of academics versus experience. There always needs to be both. Even in the context of a trainer, you gotta read, you gotta like if certifications continue to add, doesn't really matter where you go. The more you sniff around, the more you'll find either overlapping information or you'll find different ideas. But that's what I was talking about with us at Prescript is the level of communication is so minimal and most of our interactions are very authentic and we'll either say the exact same thing or we may have synonyms for the same information, but we'll generally speaking land around the same ballpark. On the alternative side of things, dude, don't do TikTok. Just that's, I, I hope that that's slowly becoming more like well-known within the gen pop sort of thing. But then again, like challenges still exist and like sign up for my literal template still exists. Cause like people just don't know what they don't know yet. Right. So for those listening, if you're a trainer, like pursue certifications, find what fits with you. Cause most things will, it should at some point, if they're following actual like science and physiology, have some overlap at some point, it's just going to come down to the flavoring of the human. If you're just working out, for love of God, cancel out all the noise for a while. Look at someone that's been training for a long time in the industry. Like, Alekman comes to mind. There's a couple other names that come to mind. But, like, maybe seek out some of those. But just go to the gym and work really hard for a while. Because a lot of the stuff, the smoke and mirrors of, of social media, like, it's a lot more confusing for a lot more people than, than helpful. It's the same as, like, if you went to... Uh, just buy a magazine like muscle and fitness or whatever the magazines are. It's like, sure. There's going to be nuggets of good information. There's probably a lot of uncontextualized, confusing stuff in those too. Like if you, the, the swipe through workouts, don't do those. Like, like it's so uncontextualized. It makes no sense. And like, there's going to be a ton of stuff, but then again, I'm going to talk in circles and be like, everything works as long as it's more than zero and you're happy. Like everything. So it's like, it's such a mixed bag. It's hard to teach someone that's not actively pursuing it on both sides. Right. And so how do you get people to like, I, I firmly believe that anecdotal evidence carries weight sometimes over, um, a, a research study. And so how do you get people to understand that? Yeah, this might not have a study on it and this might not have been in the essentials and strength and conditioning book that you read to take your CSCS <laughs> and Kelly Storette might not have said it in becoming a supple leopard, but it has been battle tested and it is something that has worked for other people. So let's try it out. And how do you get buy-in with that? Not only with a trainer, but even with a client. We're in a unique space where most exercise science literature, not most, I shouldn't say that. That's a pretty broad statement, but like a lot of literature is back validating things that either experientially people kind of have an idea for, um, or has been really standard operating procedure in fitness for a long time, right? Like there's certain things that we kind of knew that are just getting papers out on them now. Um, so that's one way of going about it. It's like just making sure that people will realize that like people have been working out way longer than exercise science has existed and been making gains. So there's something about this whole, just try hard thing that will get you in the right direction. Um, but like your raise is a valid point, whether people like it or not in the industry, like anecdotal evidence and just looking the part goes a long way of being just face value credibility in the eyes of people you're trying to teach. Like it's the unfortunate nature of being a trainer. You walk into the gym and if you don't at least look the part or you don't have some competitive aspect under your belt of some kind, like something that is proof of concept for what you're about to say, 
it's, that's the first hurdle you're going to have to overcome. So either you've got some mixed bag of certifications or qualifications that will help like appease some of the, uh, the skepticism of who's in front of you. Maybe you compete or you just look shredded. Those are the first hurdles to get through. And then even if it's anecdotal, like all you have to do is get someone through like a mesocycle, like six to 12 weeks, and they should start to experience some things. So from the personal trainer standpoint, I'm sure you guys have both experienced this. Uh, you're running an entertaining hour has an extreme impact on the results of that human through just pure adherence, their enjoyment. Like it's a show. It truly is. Like if you're a good personal trainer, like you're not necessarily pursuing just entertainment value, but you have to be engaging. You have to be like running that show for that person for that hour. Because a lot of times they're coming in and they just don't want to think. And if you just start throttling them with exercise science, they don't most of the time understand or care because they're a civilian in the space. It's like two to three hours with you on the floor and then they're going to go back to being an office or whatever they happen to be. Right. So get them adherence for like three, six, 12 weeks, something like that, where they can start to feel the actual gains. And then you're pretty much off to the races in that respect. And that's where that buy-in comes in as well. Um, yeah, no, I've been, I've been, I haven't talked much, but I'm enjoying listening to the conversation. Yeah. Sitting back and soaking in everything that I can. No, and I think it's cool. There's definitely, you've said it a couple of times. It's all about getting gains. It reminds me of, it was a long time of the Uncle Drew, Kyrie Irving thing. He talks about bass plays. Like this game has been and always will be about getting buckets. And it's the same thing when it comes to training. Like training, weightlifting, whatever you're doing has has been and always will be about getting gains. So as long as you're doing that, you, you're probably doing something right. Yeah. As long as you're constantly pushing the envelope. Again, my, my major source of echo chamber, like, information just comes from social media instagram like i don't have a lot of other ones because i literally actively avoid everything as much as seemingly possible i went through my masters did lit reviews on hypertrophy did lit reviews on a couple different things and was so super saturated by this information that i was like i'm out cool later because i know like earth shattering changes take time to happen so it's been like five seven years i just now signed up over all the like the weekly feeds of research like all the tags for hypertrophy strength all the things if something crazy happens, I'll figure it out now because I'm like cooled off of like reading research literally every single day of my life, even though I kind of already do that for Prescript. So I, like beyond the fact that nothing earth shattering is going to happen at the end of the day, if you like the, the perspective right now is heavily on biomechanics, it's heavily on optimizing movement. It's heavily on these things that are very important. But it's starting to drift further and further away from people remembering, like, what are the underlying tenets of fitness? What are the pr principles of fitness that, have, that are the most tried and true? You, you brought the CSCS book. What are in the CSCS book? Specificity, progression, overload, detraining, a, a bunch of, a couple other ones. But, like, those things on the back end of it, like, are the driving factors behind all games. It's not just biomech, necessarily. It's can you make progressive overload progress for this person week over week session over session are you making progress because that'll be making gains and at the end of the day that person getting closer and closer to their goal is the real thing that matters so again it just comes back to how can we use our knowledge either experientially and just having people work real hard and make progress academically and having maybe a little bit more of a refined approach to things but consolidate those two things to just be work real hard try to make improvements and over the long period of time get super strong and you'll probably accomplish everything that you want. 
Awesome. I love that. I feel like that's a great way to cap it off, dude. <laughs> I appreciate your time. Yeah, dude, we really appreciate meeting with us. It was great being able to talk. Yeah, it was a good time. It was fun. As usual, don't forget to like and share. Thanks for listening.